Come on, let's say good morning to the chapel in Richmond. Love you guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Turn to the person next to you and tell them you look good. Come on, tell them you look good. And be seated. Well, we are finishing up a series today uh, that I'll tell you about in just a second, but I always like to start by looking in the camera at the back of the room and saying good morning to the chapel in Richmond in a part of the city called Scott's Edition. Love you guys. Love our church family there. Love what God did 21 days of prayer every day in Scott's Edition live, and we're so uh, excited what God's doing in the heart of the city. And of course, to the men and women in Chesterfield County Jail and Virginia Department of Corrections, it's a joy to be with you all. We love you, pray for you, and uh, everybody turn around and say hello to the lobby here. Come on, say it. Can we? So... I just want to let you know we are launching in uh, October 1st the chapel at Mosley Elementary School right there in Magnolia Green. And so uh, so I'm just letting you know that because we're going to fix this problem of people having to sit in the lobby uh, on Sundays. And so we need at least 100 of you in this service to pray about being a part of that. So if you live in that part of town or want to be a part of something, we're going to bring all of who we are as a church into that school. In fact, we got to meet with the administration uh, two weeks ago and so excited uh, to see what God will do there. So I just want you to know, Lobby, we're going to fix this. In fact, in a couple weeks, we start our even our preview services, and I think there's about a 140-person launch team that's kind of formed that's going to start uh, not being here on Sunday so that we have space. That makes sense, everybody? And uh, so thanks for your flexibility in the middle of all this. And then let me get, just ask you to pray about two things that are coming up next week. I'm really excited. We're doing a Vision Sunday. So I'm going to give you an update on the building, and we have a, a, a groundbreaking date selected, and I'll give you an update on when the steel's going to arrive and all the expansion there in the building. So appreciate your uh, just your patience in this process. Uh, but so we'll give you an update on that and we'll highlight some of the ministries God's done this past summer and we'll celebrate Castle Vision of what God's going to do in the coming uh, months here at the church. So you won't want to miss uh, Vision Sunday. And then uh, two weeks from today, would you be praying? We're launching a verse by verse study through the book of Daniel. God's put it on our hearts to, to, to answer the question, how do you stand for God in a world that's getting crazy? Is that okay? And uh, so we're going to look at how Daniel had influence in the, in the Babylonian culture, but also how he did not bow to the changing cultural norms of those around him. And so would you be praying? I think it'd be a great, a great uh, series to invite somebody to join you, bring a guest. We'll make a few people mad, you know, but we'll do it real nice. And, and, uh, but how many know we got to stand as a church on truth in the middle of a crazy world? And, and so we'll talk about that whole month of September and a little bit of October. And so be, be praying for that as well. And again, thank you for the way you prayed the last 21 days. There is nothing that fills my heart with more joy than watching people pray. Hundreds of people in our prayer finale. In fact, I got to tell you, seven years ago when we started prayer, we would we'd walk some of, I got to walk and pray because if I sit and pray, I I don't know, I just sleep. And where are the people, you got a little attention deficit stuff. Anybody here? Like, you're already not listening to me. And uh, 
Like what? Yeah, and 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 it, nobody would really walk, and it was kind of odd. And and yesterday it was so fun. There was actually so many people in a circle that there was no gap. The entire room was just full, person to person, as people just walked. And pre- I felt like it was the walls of Jericho. I thought I was going to fall down, you know. And uh, so, but thank you for being a church at rallies in prayer. There's something about praying that I think God honors and God hears and God moves in in many many ways. So thank you uh, for that. In fact, we, we decided in January we're going to add a spot not only for prayer cards but for praise requests because we got a couple of incredible just stories of things that God totally did in miraculous ways, just answering people's prayers. We'll share them along the way. How many know God answers prayer? God answers prayer. And so thank you for the way you rally and you pray. Let me pray for us as we get into God's word. So God, today we open our hearts and and we open our minds. You know what you want to say to us today. And so I pray today you'd stand in my body and think with my mind and speak with my mouth what you would have for us and know, say and do that Jesus might be glorified. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said together, amen. Well, uh, at the end of 21 days of prayer, I always have this thought, you know, uh, prayer season is sort of a mountaintop experience for our church. And, and what do you do when you, when, you, when you go to the mountain? In fact, it got me thinking of Jesus' sermon on the mount. The, the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached probably is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's called that because he was on a mount when he preached it. You say, that is why I go to the chapel for deep nuggets like that and uh and jesus is on this mountain and the crowds are gathering around him he's delivering this most famous sermon ever and at the very end he lets us know that there'll be challenges he says everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the what built his house on the rock and the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house how many know part of life is the the rain coming down and the streams rising and the winds blowing. How many know part of life is going through storms? You say, no, I turned on the TV in the middle of the night and the TV preacher said, if I just send him $1,000, I'll never have a problem, you know. But how many know that's just not true? Uh, a part of life is challenges. Part of life is difficulties. Part of life is walking through tribulations. I, I know what it's like before my kids had their permit and, and license. And I know what my van looks like after they got their license. There's winds blowing and, 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 uh, and storms raging, you know, and part of life is going through those. But it's interesting. Jesus says storms will hit two houses, but they'll have two responses. It's not that it's a different storm. How many know it's not a different storm? It's just the way you weather the storm is different based upon your foundation, right? And so Jesus says one of them built their house upon a rock. Another one built their house on the sand. And the one who built it on a rock, it did not fall because it's because it had, look at this word, it had its what? It had a foundation, right? Now, nobody ever invites you over to their house and says, you're going to, you got to check out my foundation. Bro, this foundation is killed. Bro, have you seen the foundation on that house? 
I mean, I know we look at the cabinets and the countertop, but how many know if you don't have a right foundation, you can have all the cabinets and the countertops right, but the foundation, how many know, is what everything rests upon, right? And so that's what Jesus is telling us, that our foundation is important, that when the winds and the waves and the challenges of life hit us, the question will not be, did the storm come? The question will be, do we stand strong because our life is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ? And that means that we'll go through challenges just like the world does but hey we should weather them differently because we're built on a rock right that doesn't mean we won't have struggles and challenges and difficulties and, and all that it just means that we'll react differently so Jesus finishes up the Sermon on the Mount and the next thing he does is he moves down the mountainside into the valley to the to minister to people and 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 um, by the way all morning I love the way I worded this first point and I when I unveiled it all morning no one cared in any of the services. So I'm prepared for that. I thought this was really clever that the Sermon on the Mount becomes the Sermon on the Move. Don't humor me. Thank you for that. I was so proud of it all week. In the first service, I rolled it out and they were like, just keep going, you know. And uh, But I love this, that Jesus doesn't just preach a sermon on a mountain, but he moves into the lives of people. And he, he, you see, he's not just a preacher who gives words. He, he's somebody who not only declares the truth of God, but has the ability to move into our circumstances, move into our life, move into the real world that we live in and change it. And that's what's amazing. He moves off the, the mountain and he moves into the valley. And when he comes down from the mountainside, the large crowd follows him. And yet not only do, do crowds follow him, but Jesus sees a man who has a, um, a horrible ancient, uh, horrible disease in the ancient world called leprosy. In fact, I, I find it amazing that when large crowds are there, Jesus still sees people. Aren't you glad Jesus sees people? The Bible says a large crowd followed him, but there was also a man with leprosy. You know, that's what I love about God. We can all gather together in this room and can feel like a crowd in Scott's edition in the jail. But how many know God knows exactly where we're at, right? He knows our number, our situation, our circumstance. And, and he sees a man with leprosy. Now, in the ancient world, this was a, a debilitating and uh, it was a fatal disease you would have. It actually caused the extremity as a skin disorder that caused the extremities of the body to actually die so you would slowly lose your fingers and lose your toes in fact in advanced um ad advanced stages they they said uh let people with leprosy would actually lose their nose would be gone would be open and so it's this horrible deadly disease in the ancient world so you'd never go near anyone with leprosy in fact the old testament had a a way to kind of quarantine those people and here, here's what you had to do if you had leprosy you had to wear torn clothes and let their hair be unkempt. Some of you are crushing that even without <laughs> leprosy. Uh, and, but here's the thing. You had to cover the lower part of their face. And you had to cry out anytime anyone got near you. Unclean. Unclean. I mean imagine Imagine you had to live outside the camp. Imagine the, not only the physical pain of having a disease. 
but the social um, humiliation, stigma, uh, ostrac uh, being ostracized from those around you that you would feel anytime someone came near you covering your face and, and yelling out unclean, 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 the kind of isolation this would create, the kind of loneliness, the kind of humiliation this would create. And this is the situation that this man is in. And and the amazing thing is the Bible says that Jesus now has come down from the mountainside and a man with leprosy comes and he does something that would actually be surprising. He pushes in the middle of the crowd, which would already be like, uh-oh, should you really be here? And he kneels before Jesus. Look how good his theology. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. How I many know oh, if God is willing, he can do whatever he wants, right? And so he says, I know the skin disease is, so, is fatal, but I know, Jesus, you have some kind of power that if you wanted to, you could change my situation around. And Jesus does something interesting. The Bible says Jesus reached out his hand, and he what? He touched the man. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm Jesus, I'm probably going to do this miracle with my words, not my touch, you know? Like from a distance, hey, bro, <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> Be healed. Like, come on, where are the people like me? You get a little squeamish with stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like it's okay. I don't know. Like, uh, I just, uh, and, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus does something shocking. He reaches out and he touches the man. It got me actually reading this week on the, uh, I read a study on the value, the human value of touch. And, and I wrote it down because I normally preach without notes, but I'm going to read some medical stuff. And you all know I don't know that, so I'll read it. Uh, it. It talked about the psychological and physiological and even physical benefits that resulted, even in chemicals in our brain, that, that a hug or a handshake, these chemicals that are released with physical touch. In fact, you know the first sense a baby develops in the womb is skin-to-skin -skin contact between mother and baby. Doctors tell us it regulates the baby's heartbeat, it stimulates its digestive system, and it actually improves its immune system, cognitive ability, and overall mind. In fact, do you know that children, studies have been done that show that adolescents who are violent, there's a correlation between they had less touch as a child and violence later on in life. In fact, I, I read this study that says decreased violence, the, the loss of touch in a child leads to greater violence. James Prescott, American developmental psychologist, proposes that origins in violence in society were related to a lack of mother-child bonding. That, that touch creates greater trust between people. University of California at Berkeley, neuroscientist says that, that when touch happens, physical touch activates the orbital frontal cortex linked to feelings of reward and compassion. Studies show that a simple touch can trigger the release of oxytocin, or is it oxycotton? Which is it? I think it's tocin. Tocin, I think it's the right one. We're not that church. And... Uh, literally called the love hormone. Do you know, in fact, do you know studies have been, this blew me away, studies have been done that showed that NBA teams that touch each other more actually have a higher winning percentage. Have you ever watched a, in a basketball game after a guy shoots a free throw, between the free throws, how every guy, do you know what I'm talking about, goes and high fives him and you're like, guys, we're gonna do this all game? Like how much are we gonna high five each other? And the studies have shown that the more an NBA players touch each other, the more they win games. 
In fact, you know, uh, learning increases. In fact, human strength and immune system is increased through physical touch. The gentle pressure, one uh, doctor says, on the sternum creates an emotional charge that activates the solar plexus something and this stimulates the thymus gland which regulates balance produces white blood cells keeps you healthy and increases your immune system in fact you know i actually read this week that touch increases your immune system i'm really tempted to preach on this because a couple years ago (laughs) we we were told You don't all, y'all don't even want me to go there, do you? I'm just simply telling you this. There's something, every study shows, there's something about touch. Jesus could have spoken a word and healed this man, but this man who may not have been touched for years, ostracized, lonely, uh, isolated, what does Jesus do? He reaches out and touches. How many are thankful for a close savior? Come on, somebody. A close savior, right? He could have healed with a word. But he heals with a touch. And there's something. Man, I've been hugged more times today than after any service in the world. You know, So you, you should hug your mom. That preacher says so. You know, There's just something about, about a handshake. Come on, there's something. Remember a couple years ago when we all had this. Just, God created us for connection. He hardwired us for relationship. And I love that Jesus in love and kindness and compassion, when he could have spoken a word and healed a man, he reaches out and touches him. And for the first time ever, he sees the compassion of a savior. That's the kind of God we serve, an up close and personal one. But this man literally has to have a willingness to, 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 to admit his need. He comes to Jesus and he says, I have this disease. And that's the second thing I wrote down this week. We've got to have a willingness to admit our need. How many know we need God? And, and in fact, you can't have a solution without a problem. You can't have a remedy without, a, without an issue. You can't, have, you can't have a cure without a sickness. And, and some of us uh, in our culture, we're told that we have enough and have it all together and we don't need God. Somebody has said Christianity is a crutch for those that are weak. And I'm telling you, no, no, no. Christianity is for those who understand that we're sinful and in need of a savior, right? In fact, you know, the story of Jesus makes no sense without the realizing that we're broken in our own sin. And you say, Pastor, I don't know if I believe we're all sinful. You need to have a, a, a toddler, it's like hardwired. No one teaches them to say mine and no one teaches them to bite. I mean, the only reason they're not in jail is they're not stronger. You know, I mean, and, and yet and yet in the middle of that, just hardwired, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the story of the gospel can only be applied to our life when we realize we're broken. When we realize we're heartbroken, we realize that our sin has, has, has fallen into our life. And the great news of the gospel is Jesus Christ came to die for sinners. Hey, Chapel, I can't dress it up. We don't need a little bit of help. We don't need two steps to this. A lot of churches are two steps to this, three steps to that. Our church will help get you a little better. How many know we're not trying to get a little better? We're trying to help people spiritually dead come to life. We need more than a little dabble, do you, of God, you know? 
Like we need to realize we're broken, lost, separated, and alienated from a holy God. But thanks be to God, he sent his one and only solution. The sinless son of God lived a sinless 33-year life, died a sacrificial death on the cross, took our sin upon himself that we might be forgiven, right? Anybody glad for that today? We might be forgiven. In fact, theologians call this imputation. On the cross, God could put our sin upon Jesus. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because all of the sin of humanity was being poured upon him. And, and yet Jesus was taking it so that we might be forgiven. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived our life. So that now he can treat us, if we believe in Jesus, as if he had lived his life. I want you to think of that. On the cross, God treated Jesus as if he had lived our life. So that in Christ we might be treated as if we are not righteous in and of ourselves, but a righteousness that comes from God and is on the basis of faith. Right? It's like the it's like the uh, somebody yell out your favorite college football team, Alabama. That's what I heard, and uh, or Michigan. And uh, how many know you sometimes say we won? Did we win? You watched it on the TV, you know. You're like, no, we won because I identify. How many know we win on the cross, not because we did it, but because we identify uh, with our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished it on behalf. Did I do it? No, no, no. How do I get to win then? Because I'm identifying with the one who did it for me, right? We've got to be willing to admit our need. Not only do we have to be willing to admit our need, but we have to have a willingness to change what needs to change on the inside of us. That, that this man could have gotten so stuck in the routine of being distant on the outside of the camp, Leviticus said, but he wasn't satisfied to stay there. He was willing to do the hard work of change. You know what I found sometimes pastoring people? Sometimes we get so used to our dysfunction that we're not even sure we want to change it. <laughs> have you ever had somebody come over to your house and they ask about something and it's been broken so long that you haven't even seen it anymore? You're like, oh yeah, that is true. How come you can't use your side door? I don't know, we're gonna fix that. How long's it been broken? I don't know, like three years. And, and the truth is we have to have a willingness to change. In fact, when Jesus in John 13 was going to wash the disciples' feet, Peter had this proud, no, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Here's what he's saying. You have to have a willingness to surrender. You have to have a willingness to give your need to God. Yeah, and what I love about this, this is Jesus said, I, I am willing. And look what he says to the man, be clean. And immediately this man was cleansed of his leprosy. I want you to see this. This is completely the opposite of what the Old Testament Leviticus said would happen. Jesus was clean and he touched an unclean man. And in the Old Testament, when a clean person touches an unclean person, the clean person becomes unclean. But not Jesus. <laughs> when a clean person touches an unclean person, the unclean person becomes clean. It's, it's only meaning when Jesus touches sin, he doesn't become tainted. The thing that is broken. How many know when Jesus touches brokenness, he doesn't become broken. The broken thing becomes whole. 
And I, th- I love that about him. He reaches down, he touches this man, and the Bible says immediately this man was cleansed of his leprosy. Something was changed, something was transformed, something happened in this man's life because of the touch of Jesus. He did the opposite of what the law said could happen. He, the clean, made the unclean clean because of his power. That's what we're kind of just trying to do as a church. We're not trying to do something fancy around here. We're just believing that if we can get people around Jesus and close enough to Jesus and hear his story, his power, his word, something in their life can radically change, right? And, and I believe that, and I, and I know that, and I believe that. I had a girl after the 8 a.m. service today tell me, she said, this is my second time in church. And I said to her, that's great. I said, second time here. She said, yeah, second time here, but my second time in church. And I said, what do you, what do you mean my second second time in this church? And she said, no, second time ever in church. And she said, I don't really understand any of it, but I'm really glad I'm here. Second time ever in church. Second time, not in this church, second time ever in church. Second time ever in church. (laughs) And I said to her, hey, you don't really even need to understand it all, that feeling you kind of got in the inside of you. We just love Jesus a lot around here. If you just kind of get close to him, he can do something really great in your life. How many love to see people just so new to faith, they're trying to figure this whole thing out? and I'm just, like, we're not trying to be fancy. We're not trying to be clever. We're not trying to build a brand of our church. We're just trying to get people close enough to Jesus because if something happens in their life, they, they can be changed. Jesus now says something interesting, and I want to make a point of it, and then I'll explain it. He says, now, once I've changed your life, don't tell anyone. I want you to go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. So this was set up in the Levitical law of the Old Testament that if you had been cleared of leprosy before you re-entered the camp or re-entered society or culture, you had to kind of get cleared by the priest. And so Jesus is saying, go tell the priest, but I love these words because he's going to know that you're healed and this is going to become, come on, somebody, tell me what it is. What? A testimony. This is going to become a testimony to you of what God can do in your life. A testimony. of There's something about having a testimony. You say, what is a testimony? It's just a story of what God's done in your life. It's a story of transformation. I think I told you, uh, I can't remember which service I said this in. So if I said this in this service, I'm, I don't know what day is prayer or men's night. I'm a little, whatever. And, uh, but last week, and I think at 9.30, we're standing over here and a guy said to me, December 4th. And I said, December 4th, yep. I said, I don't know what that means, December 4th. And I was like, what, what happened December 4th? And I'm trying to think of everything I know in early December. You know, Pearl Harbor. I don't know why we're talking about that. Larry Bird's birthday. Uh, I was like, I'm sorry, I don't know what December 4th is. And he said, it's just the last time I had a drink. And I said, tell me about that. And he said, it controlled my life. But God changed my life. It hasn't been easy, but I haven't had anything to drink since December 4th. How many are just grateful for testimonies? December 4th. December 4th. It's, a, it's just a story. It's just a story that this will be told as a testimony. Katie and I had the privilege uh, in July of, uh, of honoring her dad at a graveside service in Camden, New York. Camden, New York has more cows than people, okay? It's this little dairy town in rural up, up 
Nowheresville, uh, New York. And uh, we were there, and there's about 70 people gathered to honor my father-in-law who, who passed away. And we were there at the graveside. Something amazing happened. A bunch of guys were there that told me he was their seventh grade teacher. But these guys were like 70. So I was like, well, how long ago? They're like 48 years ago, 52 years ago. We had your father-in-law in seventh grade, and I was like, whoa. And I said, tell me about that. And they were like, he made a difference in, in my life. And I, and I started to talk to my wife later that week about it. And she, she reminded me of my father-in-law's story. See, my father-in-law, um, when, he, when his mother got pregnant, my father-in-law's dad left because he did not want to he didn't want to have a child. And uh, she remarried and her, his stepfather didn't like him either. And so my father-in-law grew up his whole life knew the rejection of his father who left and then knew when his mother remarried, his stepdad did not like him. In fact, he would never even say his first name. And, uh, and something amazing happened at, in, in his early thirties, my father-in-law met Jesus and Jesus changed everything. And God put it on his heart to become a spiritual father to young men who were, who were just struggling and distant and I'm telling you, hundreds of discipleship groups and small groups and trips. And 48 years later, guys were still trying. I mean, who, who, I can't even remember what I did in seventh grade. How many know what I'm talking about? Like guys traveling from all over the country to just come and say, let me just tell you this story. Because something happened in my father-in-law's life when he met a man named Jesus that started to repair him. And God took the hurts and the wounds and the broken. How many know God does that? Sometimes he takes the pain and uses it for his purpose. Come on, he takes the test and makes it a testimony. He takes the hurt and uses it for healing and a story, right? And, and I love that Jesus says to this man, go offer this gift as a, a, and, and this is gonna be a testimony to all them because here's what Jesus is teaching him, that it's not just an external healing that, that God's doing in his life, but it's an internal cleansing. Meaning that the leper's not just gonna be healed from his disease, he's gonna be cleansed from his spiritual problem and connected to a savior, Right? How I many know God wants to do more than fix the outside up? He wants to fix the inside up, right? And I love that Jesus changes his life completely and the man has a story and his story is lived on to this day. And it's a story of him surrendering his life and learning to walk with God and learning to give his hurts to God. And, and that, that's an amazing thing because one savior reached out and touched him. Something amazing happened. He starts by calling God Lord. And he ends by having a personal relationship. Let me ask you this question. Do you know God as just the Lord? Or do you know him as my Lord? You know, That's my question for you today before we close. Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? <laughs> we exist as a church, not just to connect people to a religion, but to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I love that this man started off as one in a big group of a crowd. And he ended with a personal encounter with Jesus that the touch turned him from just saying, Lord, if you are willing, to a personal relationship that he would go everywhere and he would tell our story. How many, how many of you could share your story today? It'd be a story of God bringing you through some, bitty, some pretty big stuff. Anybody here today, right? Like, got a story of what God brought you through, you know? In fact, if you're new here today and you say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm like a church person like the church people around here. Well, trust me, they aren't church people. We're not good people that have it all together. I mean, we might have put a button down on today, but how many know we're a met? How many? How many know we're not good people? We're just forgiven people who gave our hurts, 
and our wounds and our pains and our mess ups to him. I want, I, listen, this is not a self-righteous club of people that have it all together. This is just people that met at the foot of the cross and met a God who's still in the business of forgiving people. That's what he does today. And he invites us to bring our messes to him that he might transform them. That he might change them. That he might take what looks like it's broken and make it whole again. That he might create hope and life and joy. And this man moves from the Lord to my Lord. I think that's an important thing to say. I just want to say this today. Going to church. Just being a part of a group. Your parents believe that. That's all great. But that's different than personally knowing the story of a savior that has forgiven your sin. Jesus has come not just to be the Lord, he is the Lord, but his question to us is have we bowed and made him my Lord? Like Jesus, you're my savior. The Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> not is the Lord a shepherd, sure, but is the Lord, can you say today, the Lord is my shepherd. And if you can't today, this man offers us a story Listen, I love, I love to study our faith and we, we should do that. Know answers for the reason, the hope we have and be able to articulate that with clarity. But how many know there's nothing like somebody who just has a story? Here's where I was. Here's where I am. It was only because of the grace of God. You know, I told you the story. My dad was 26 years old with his life a mess. Things I wouldn't even say from this stage. And he walks in to buy an uh, umbrella for his patio table. And a man named Joe, who's a close friend of our family, says, you look depressed. What's going on? All of a sudden, 30 minutes later, he's praying in an outdoor furniture store. Not in church, in an outdoor furniture store. My dad gives his life to Jesus. And the trajectory of my family changes forever and ever. How many know there's power in a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? That's what there is. Just power in a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. And Jesus reaches out and he touches this man. And I want to ask you today, before we close, I just had it on my heart all week praying up to this service that there are people that you're maybe right on the edge of the camp or maybe maybe you're far out of the camp or maybe you, you've wandered and you're just like, I don't even know where I'm at. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to make you walk to the front. I'm not, but I would love to pray for you today. If you say, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'm at in my relationship with God. Would you pray for me? Would you bow with me all over this room? And Christians are praying really earnestly and we're not looking around because we don't want to embarrass anybody. But if you're here today and you want to say, I'm not sure it's a personal thing for me, but pastor today, I want it to be. I want to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Or maybe you wandered far away from it today and you say, I need to come back home. If that's you today, I won't embarrass you, but I would love to pray for you. If you just wouldn't mind just slipping up your hand real quick and saying, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift your hand up right wherever you are, just real quick. Yes, young lady, thank you. Yes, sir. Young man, I see that. Anybody else? Yes, sir. I see that over there. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, ma'am. Anybody else, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not... Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Just ask one more time. I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to ever be emotional, but I just want to give a chance for God who's 
stirring at some of our hearts today to get a hold of us. One last time, if you didn't raise your hand, you said, Pastor, I'm not sure where I'm at. Yeah, young man, I see that. I'm proud of you, buddy. Anybody else, Pastor, just pray for me. Online and Scott's edition. We just, it's not magic words, but I'm telling you, God hears the cry of a heart. And if you mean business with God, not not like a little plaything, but if you mean business with God, He can hear your prayer and change your life completely today. So I'm gonna lead you in the kind of prayer it would sound like. If you mean it, just let the cry of your heart kind of follow me along the way. The prayer would sound something like this. Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned and I know I've come up short. I know I've made a mess doing things my way. But today I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross to take away my sin. So I'm turning away from my sin and myself and I'm placing my faith in him today. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. Would you save me today, God? Would you come on the inside of me? Would you clean me up and would you give me a new start? Just rescue me, just change my life, God. Today I'm pushing everything I have 100% in with you. Change my heart and by your grace, God, from this moment forward, I'm going to do my best to follow you all the days of my life. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look this way for a second. Uh, bunch of you, bunch of you, bunch of you raise your hand for that. And If you can check it on the connect card you got on the way in, drop it off at Next Step, or just email us at info at Chapel RVA. We don't want to stalk you. We do want to help you grow in this thing called faith. And so we'll email you some resources, some next steps, some ways to get connected and grow in your faith. You just need to know that what just happened a minute ago is why this whole church exists. It's what we pray about, what we exist about, what we give to, what we are a part of. And we just want you to know, if you meant that prayer from the bottom of your heart, we want to say today, welcome to the family of God. Come on, welcome to the family of God. Oh, come on, chapel. Let's tell them we're proud of them today. Oh, proud of them. Yeah. Only God. Only God. Only God.